I'm Patty Bray, and I have a confession to make. I collect quotes. I know that may not make me sound very cool, but it's really the truth. I started collecting quotes when I was in my 20s. I would find something that I would read or something that someone would say that really spoke to me in a significant way, and so I would write it down, and I would figure out how I could apply it to my life and then how I could teach it to others. And so I literally have hundreds and hundreds of quotes. Today, I'm going to share a message with you unlike any I have ever shared before. You who know me well know that I love to teach the Word, but today I'm going to do a message based on quotes that have really impacted my life. We'll see what you think about it. Well, some of my quotes are from great and famous writers, and I'll tell you some of those in just a moment. But first of all, I want to share with you some quotes that are from people who are not quite as famous. They're from these three right here. This is Stella, who's eight, Vivi, who is three, and Leo, who is five, and they are three of the most wonderful people in the whole wide world. They are my grandchildren. They have said some funny things to us over their lifetime. When John and I were home at, uh, at, they live in California, and when we were out there at Christmas time, I was combing Vivi's hair, and she was combing my hair, and um, she's three years old, and Grandpa John walked over, and she said, Papa, you don't have hair, you have a head. <laughs> I thought that was pretty clever for a little girl. She didn't know why we laughed so hard about it. Now, Leo is five, and he is fun and funny, and he just walks into the room and makes you want to laugh. But we all realized we don't have any quotes of him. I don't know if it's because he's the middle child or what, but we can't come up with any quotes from him. But I can tell you that a couple of weeks ago, he FaceTimed me because he said, Grandma, I want to show you something I've learned to do. I've, and he wanted to show me that he's learned to burp upon command. And he thought that was the funniest thing in the world, so he got close to that camera, and he just kept burping and burping and burping, and of course, I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. He thought that it was really especially funny because he said, Grandma, I learned how to do that from Papa John. <laughs> well, Stella is the one that we really have a lot of quotes from, uh, and when, especially when she's around that two-and-a-half and three-year-old time when she was just talking in such new, fun ways, and so I collected a few of her quotes from then. One day when she was two and a half, you know, living in California, they don't get much rain, and so they got some rain, and she said, Daddy, look, the streets are wet. Who's going to take a towel and clean them up? I just thought that was so cute, maybe especially cute because she's my granddaughter. Maybe you don't think it's nearly as cute. Then there was the time that her mom said, Stella, will you have a good attitude at the babysitters? She responded, yeah, but unfortunately, I'll be tired. So, okay, mom, don't get your expectations up too high. She was playing one day a bit rough with her brother, Leo, and he was crying, and mom said, Stella, he doesn't like that. You have to listen to Leo. And she burst into tears and said, but I don't speak whiny because you don't let me whine. I was thinking perhaps that's a quote that some college students could maybe learn to get in their own lives. Maybe not you, but maybe someone sitting beside you. My favorite one of all time that Stella said when she was three, she said, I have a burp in my butt and I'm trying so hard to get it out. <laughs> now maybe that's also a quote that some of you could quote, but please don't do it. <laughs> don't don't uh, act on that thought. <laughs> quote a lot. Uh, I'm moving right along. Let me 
share with you some quotes that aren't quite as funny but have had such profound influence on my life, just a few of the shorter ones. Someone that I have known for a long time said this, someone else's failure is never an excuse for my own. And I remember beginning to say that in my 20s, I'm going to live that out for the rest of my life. I love one by C.T. Studd, famous missionary to China and maybe one of the best missionary names that we've ever had. Man, he was a stud. He wrote this, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Man, I want to live that one out, don't you? John Maxwell came into our lives when we were in our early 30s, and I remember something that he said that really changed um, who I became. He said, your ability to lead will always be in direct proportion to your ability to problem solve. And he said, so you got to become a better problem solver. And I determined that I was not going to be just a feeling person, but I was going to become a person who could think logically and could uh, deal with problems better. I was a pastor for all of my adult life, pretty much, and another pastor once said this, the greatest need for my people is my personal holiness. And I realized that I could learn to teach well, I could learn to evangelize, I could learn to do a lot of things, but the greatest need my people would have was that I would be a person who was holy, who was holy, who was holy. And all of you who know me well know that my favorite author outside of the Bible is A.W. Tozer, and this is one of my favorites from him, the God who by the word of the gospel proclaims men free by the power of the gospel actually makes them free. To accept less than that, less than this, is to know the gospel in word only without its power. Man, I want to live like the gospel really does have power. Don't you? Changed my life at 27 when I got this quote from an author who talked about the fact that God starts a fire in us, but it's up to us to tend that fire. And she said, untended fires soon die and just become a pile of ashes. It get, went along with uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, who said the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your life. And I put those two together and said, God, by your grace, if you will help me, I will be a person who the rest of my life never lets the fire go out. One of my recent ones that I have just gotten is just revolutionizing my life, I think, in my prayer life. Frank Laubach says, I choose to look at people through God using God as my glasses colored with his love for them. Don't you want to love like that, especially for those very draining people who are even harder to love than others? I love those quotes. But there is a quote that I've gotten recently that I want to talk to you about this morning. It's taken from one of my spiritual heroes. His name was Frank Laubach. He was a missionary who was nicknamed the Apostle to the Illiterate. Laubach wanted to learn, he wanted to be able to teach people to read so that they could do two things. One, they could escape poverty, and two, so that they could learn the beauty of the scriptures. And so he developed a reading program that was used then worldwide for a number of years, and it's estimated that it helped 100 million people learn to read from Laubach's program. His book called Letters by a Modern Mystic would probably go on my, at least my top 20 books of my life, maybe even my top 10. Well, Laubach wrote about a concept. He wrote about the idea that we could draw close to God so much, close to our Savior so much, that we could be in such a relationship of intimacy with our Savior 
that we are increasingly aware of the presence of Jesus in our lives in every single part. And here's the quote that's one of my all-time favorites. Can we have that contact with God all the time? All the time awake, fall asleep in his arms, awaken in his presence? Can we attain that? Can we do his will all the time? Can we think his thoughts all the time? Can I bring the Lord back to my mind flow every few seconds so that God shall always be on my mind? And then he says this, I choose to make the rest of my life an experiment answering that question. You see, Laubach talks about the fact that we as human beings are able to think on multiple levels. I'm doing that right now. Right now, I'm thinking about what I'm saying. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your reactions. Some of you I'm noticing are really engaged. Some of you are on your phones. I'm noticing those because I'm thinking at different levels. That's just what the human being is capable, the human mind is capable of doing. And so Laubach's question is, since we can think on multiple levels, can we be doing regular everyday stuff all the while having contact with the Lord and Savior bringing him back to my mind flow, to our mind flow, every few seconds, being aware of his presence all throughout the day. And I love how Laubach finishes that. He says, I don't know how much is possible, but I'm going to go on a holy experiment to find out if it is possible. I don't know how you react to that quote. Maybe some of you sit there and you go, man, I just have a negative reaction to that. It just seems absolutely impossible to me. Maybe you're like some of, one of my friends who one day said to me, you know, in the morning I get up and I do a five-minute devotional. I go out the door to my work. I never think of Jesus the rest of the day until I fall asleep at night. Maybe you're like that and you say, man, I can't even imagine being able to bring Jesus back to my mind flow all throughout the day. Maybe some of you are like, well, man, I don't know. I've never thought about it before. It's kind of an intriguing idea. Maybe, maybe I could do it a little bit more. And then maybe some of you are like me and you read that quote with me and your heart begins to beat fast and you think, man, I don't know if it's possible, but I sure want to find out. So wherever you are in your response to that, I want to ask this, what if it is possible, guys? What if it is possible, at least to a much greater degree than we're currently living, to live in such constant, deep, intimate relationship with your Savior that you think about him and his will all throughout the day? What if it's possible? Let me give you another confession. I think it is. I really think that it is, but I understand that tons of things will fight against that kind of relationship with our Savior, and I just want to suggest two specific things that will fight against that kind of relationship. And the first one's this, it's low expectations. You know what, I realize something about every single one of us in this room today. There will always be a temptation for us to live less than what the Lord wants us to live. A temptation to be far less than the Savior wants us to be. A temptation to love far less than he wants us to love. You know, we say, well, I'm saved. I go to a Christian university. I even go to a chapel a couple days a week. 
but we keep our expectations low when it comes to really living as Christ followers, and we don't have within us a dream of what God can make of us. Instead, we're what one author writes, we settle for the warm bed covers of complacent Christianity. We're here at a Christian university, and perhaps maybe especially while we're here at a Christian university, there will be a temptation to settle for being a mediocre Christian, for living a stale Christian life, and for just having that status quo kind of living. If that's you, if that's you, I think that you would admit it's really not a great place to live, is it? In fact, you may even get so tired of living there that you get to the place where you say, I don't even want this kind of life at all. It's just not worth it to me. But I want to tell you today that maybe it's a good place to be if, like Laubach says, you get this. If you're weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are. And if you can decide, if you can decide today, I don't want to live there anymore and I don't have to live there anymore. Because you know what? This sleepy form of devotion with low expectations, it will rob us of the vibrancy, of the joy, of the peace that God wants us to have in our relationship with Him. But you know what else it'll do? Living with low expectations, it will also rob us of the powerful influence that we can have on other people. You know that this uh, year, this semester's theme is influence matters. And those are two words that we can just read on that screen every time we come to chapel and yet live as if they don't, as if our influence does not matter. Partiers live as if their influence doesn't matter. Shy people live as if their influence doesn't matter. Critical people can live as if the words that they say simply don't matter. Extroverts who can talk all the time and never listen to anybody can live as if their influence doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, influence does matter. And I would suggest to every single one of us in this room who is a Christ follower, someone influenced you to becoming a Christ follower. So what if God left you on this earth, on this planet? He saved you and then left you on this planet in order for you to live a life that's so full of your Savior, so flowing through you that other people will watch your life and long to know the Savior that you love. I'm convinced that the world is simply dying from lack of knowing people who live like that. What a sad statement on a world of Christianity. Laubach wrote about this idea when he pondered his role as a missionary the first year that he went to the Philippines. And he was trying to lead people to Christ. Listen to what he writes. This is so powerful to me. What right then do I have or any other person to come here and change the name of these people from Muslim to Christian this is it, unless I lead them to a life fuller of God than they have now. That's powerful. He says, clearly, clearly my job here is not to go to the town plaza and make proselytes. It is to live wrapped up in God, trembling to his thoughts, burning with his passion. And oh, my loved one, that is the best gift you can give to your own town. 
And I would say to you whom I love here at Indiana Wesleyan University, we who claim the name of Jesus, we who have experienced his salvation, God wants us to live wrapped up in God, burning with his passion so that we can be a gift to our town, to our campus, and to our own particular world. And to live less than that, to live less than that is to miss out on much of the purpose for why you're still here. If you are finding yourself sitting here today with some sleepy form of devotion to your Savior today, I have been praying for a couple of weeks now that the Holy Spirit will just lift your vision as you sit here today, even in this hour, so that you begin to realize the relationship that you can have is so much more than what you may be currently living, and that your influence for eternity really matters. And I pray that you begin pursuing that kind of relationship and to have that kind of influence with the same intensity that you pursue your favorite sport or your favorite person or your favorite Netflix night or your favorite hobbies. I just pray that you begin pursuing this one who is pursuing you until you can say, I just live with him as my supreme love of my life. And he flows out of that. Low expectations can really hurt us. There's a second thing that can really hurt us too when it comes to living this kind of an intimate relationship with Jesus that grows all the time, and it's this. It's low expectations, but it's high levels of noise and activity. High levels of noise and activity. The noise and activity of our world have the potential to block out the voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to prevent that deep, intimate relationship with our Savior. Let me explain it like this with an illustration. Earlier this month, we had a men's basketball game where we were playing St. Francis. A lot of you were there, right? It was one of the most exciting basketball games anybody could attend. St. Francis was ranked second in the nation, and so when you play a team that good, you don't know how, good, how well you're going to play. But I'm telling you, our guys came out ready to play. And it was a crazy game with standing room only. The fan club, the fan, all the guys in the fan section uh, had these cups that they cut out the end of it and they were able to scream through those. And the noise was just, un it was crazy loud. And we, the, the lead went back constantly. Uh, one team would be ahead with a three-pointer, and then we'd be ahead, the other team. Then us back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in the last second, the game was tied, and we went into overtime, and the place went crazy with screaming and cheering. I, I, I was afraid I was going to hyperventilate, and I thought, okay, Lord, if I faint here in front of all these guys, one, they won't even notice me because we're so excited about this, and two, I'll be humiliated. It was so exciting, and it even got more exciting because we won. Oh my goodness, what a game. Now, what about if in the middle of that game, John had leaned over and whispered, Daddy, I've been meaning to talk to you about our relationship lately. <laughs> what if he'd said, I think, I think it's growing a little stale, and I'd like to talk a little bit about it. I want us to get back on track. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> what do you think I would have done? One, I wouldn't have been able to hear him. Why? Because it was just crazy loud in there. And two, I would have probably said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Sorry, sound guys. <laughs> now, you want to talk now? I can't hear you because I'm focusing on this exciting thing that's going on in front of me. 
It's obvious that it wouldn't have been a good idea, right, John? You would agree with that. It would not have been a good idea to talk deeply. Yeah, he's a little concerned about it. But I wouldn't have been able to talk deeply about this relationship with the one person that I love more than anybody else on earth. Why? Because the noise of the hundreds would have drowned out the voice of the one whisperer, right? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? My friends, I would suggest that this is how we treat our Savior. He is longing to lean into our lives and to speak through His Holy Spirit, especially through His Holy Word. But so often we say, I can't hear you. There's so much noise and activity in my life that I cannot hear you, God. And two, are you kidding me right now? You want to talk into my heart and my mind right now? I'm pretty focused on what's going on in front of me. And we name all the things that we're doing. And the trouble is, guys, we don't just say this once or twice a year or every other month. But we're, if we're not really careful, that's the kind of life we begin living with noise and activity of this world just filling our hearts and our minds and our souls. And the end result of that is that we come to the place where habitually we have lived that way so long that we become what C.S. Lewis calls hyphenated Christians. It's Christianized versions of what, we're, what we already are and intend to remain. So we say, I'm angry. Christian. I'm secularized Christian. I'm sinful Christian. I'm addict Christian. I'm party Christian. If we stop long enough to evaluate, we realize then that we have settled into the warm bed covers of complacent Christianity, and we have this sleepy form of devotion where we just assume this is the way we're always going to live, and we realize that we have little power over sin, little vitality in our relationship, little walking by faith when God calls us to new places of faith and little influence upon other people. So what in the world do we do? What do we do? I want to suggest a key that seems so simplistic that I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but I'm convinced that we need to know where to start, at least to start somewhere. And that would be to learn to take those everyday moments, those everyday situations where you find yourself, and train yourself to bring Jesus into them. I'm talking about bringing him into everything, everything. And maybe you could begin doing that by learning to whisper the name of Jesus during those everyday moments. So you're getting ready to sit down and relax with Netflix. Whisper the name of Jesus. Jesus, I love you. You're welcome right here. You're getting ready to get out of your car and walk into that party on Saturday night. Learn to whisper the name of Jesus. Jesus, you're welcome here. Would you help me to look like you? You're getting ready to spend the evening with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend, and you know that things have been getting a little bad lately, and so you learn to whisper the name of Jesus. Jesus, you're here with me. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You're feeling lonely on a weekend because it feels like everybody else has stuff to do, and everybody else has gone home, and you learn to whisper the name of Jesus that you say in my loneliness, Jesus, make yourself known to me. You're getting ready to enter the doors of chapel, and you're like little Stella, and you're just getting ready to whine. Instead, you whisper the name of Jesus, and you say, Jesus, speak to me today. 
You develop the mental and emotional muscles of inviting Jesus into everything that you do, and that begins to strengthen this connection, this relationship, and you find yourself saying, he's just becoming more real to me every day, and then he's shaping your life so that you find yourself being less and less hyphenated and more and more all that he wants you to be. One more suggestion. Figure out how to get the Word of God regularly into your life. The Word of God regularly into your life. Now, I'm not going to tell you how much time to do that or how often to do that or even how to do that. That could be another chapel time. I'm convinced that most of us already know how to do it. And I understand that we have different spiritual rhythms. We have different pathways of drawing close to our Savior. So I'm not telling you all the specifics, but I am saying you need to learn to do it regularly. I remember how life-changing it was for me when I was about 27 years old. And I began to recognize that time focusing on my Savior, time letting the Word come into my life, was not about a duty. It wasn't about me performing for him and having him love me more. It wasn't about me trying to gain favor with my Savior. When I began to understand that God's not a legalist, he doesn't need you to spend a certain amount of moments, times, hours. He does. He has created you, however. He has created me, however, to need him on a regular basis. And I began to realize that I needed time with him so that he could fill me. I needed time with him so that he could change my perspective on things. I needed him so that he could give me joy and peace. I needed time with him, focusing on him, so that I could be the mom I wanted to be, so that I could be the wife that I longed to be, that I could be the caring Christian that he wanted me to be. And I realized an important truth. I need regular times of focusing with my sa- on my Savior so that I could be the person I was longing to be for him. And you know what? So do you. If you go days without the word coming into you, if you go days without talking with him, if you go days, weeks, and months without focusing on your Savior, You'll have low expectations, and the high levels of noise and activity of your world will keep you from being all that you can be. Let me tell you something, a word of caution. If you commit to developing these spiritual and mental muscles, you won't be very good at it at first. You won't. Sorry to tell you, but you won't. And that's why so many of you give up, because you're not very good at it at first. But this is my word of caution to you. Don't measure your success by how well you are doing at first. Measure it by your heart's desire to develop deeper love and intimacy with your Savior. Don't measure it by how well you're doing it. Measure it by your heart's desire to develop greater love, deeper love and intimacy with your Savior. Think about it this way. This is a picture that my little seven and a half of that time year old Stella gave to me. I mean, I love this picture. It hangs on my refrigerator. She says, Grandma Patty, um, you are so awesome. You are the best. We all love you. And then she gives their uh, initials. Now, when I got that from Stella, do you think I go, well, it's no Monet? (laughs) Do you think I said she spelled awesome wrong? Well, okay, the teacher in me did notice that. (laughs) Do you think that I, 
I'm going, oh man, she needs to get her perspectives better. Nobody has eyes that big. Do you think I said that? No! I got that picture and every time I look at it on my refrigerator, I smile because I love the heart of this little girl who longs to let me know how much she loves me. So she's given me a picture to express her love. Listen, guys, your heavenly Father will be so thrilled with your attempts to draw closer to him. And if you go on a holy experiment of growing and bringing Jesus into everything by whispering his name, by focusing on his word, by becoming a person who talks to him all throughout the day, he's not going to pick it apart. He is going to love the heart of the person who's doing this. So one more time, Lobbox quote, can we have that contract, contact with God all the time, all the time awake, fall asleep in his arms, awaken in his presence? Can we attain that? Can we do his will all the time? Can we think his thoughts all the time? Can we bring the Lord back to our mind flow every few seconds so that God shall always be on our mind? Hey, I'm not sure, but I want to find out. Don't you? And I want to ask you to go on a holy experiment with me for the next 30 days. As you came in, you got a little card. If you didn't get one, there's some up here. There'll be some at the back as you leave. That card asks you to go on a holy experiment with me for the next 30 days in which you do something every single day. The reason we do it every single day is why? Because we develop the muscles as we do it every single day. So we try every single day for the next month to do this. Give God permission to raise your expectations of what you can be. So every single day you say, dear God, help me to see what you can make me because of the power of the Holy Spirit who's living inside me. God, raise my expectations. And every single day you pray this, God, open my eyes to the influence that I can have on the people around me. Help me to be able to see that you've left me here on this earth for influence. And then every day. Take some time to withdraw from the noise and the activity and focus on your Savior. I'm not telling you how to do it. I think you already know that. But every day, sometime in the day, say, oh God, I'm withdrawing from all of this and I'm focusing on you. I'm whispering your name. I'm whispering your name. I'm drawing you into this. I'm telling you that I love you. I'm letting your word wash over my soul. And at the end of 30 days, I want to see how we're different. How will you be different? How will I be different? How will this campus be different? How will your studying be different? How will your relationships be different? Would you go on that holy experiment with me? And throughout the month, would you let us, let somebody know how you're doing? Ask people, how are you doing on that holy experiment? Because people will need reminders. As I see you on the campus, as John sees you on the campus, for a professor or a staff worker, faculty worker, tell them how you're doing with this. And let's see, oh, let's see what God, the Holy Spirit, wants to do and can do in his people as we say, I'm not going to live with low expectations and I'm going to withdraw from the high activity and noise of this world and I'm going to focus on my Savior so that I can see if it's possible to think about him all throughout the day. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you do your work in our lives? Would you transform us? Would you help us to come to the place where we're able to say, I love you more than I love anything else in this world. And my great desire is to not live hyphenated, but would people see me and say, I want to know their Jesus. I want to live for their Jesus. I want to get saved by their Jesus. And for everything that you do, oh, we'll be so careful to give you the praise and the glory. Amen. As we sing this last song,